presence personified And I will drag you down and sell you out Run away Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast. I'm your host Adam Castro here with my co-host Ed Birdsall. Mr. Birdsall, happy Easter to you and happy Passover to all of those who celebrate. So Bert, how you doing? Okay. Okay. It's uh it's mock draft Tuesday. Very excited. Very excited for mock for mock draft Tuesday. Uh we are officially nine days away from the NFL draft, and I am very excited. I'm 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 ready to go. How about you, Mr. Caster? How's uh how's life? How's quarantine? It's fine. Uh you know, I've been taught the funny thing is I've been talking to my family more when we're stuck in the house than I ever have when I was able to freely leave, go go back, go around. Like, more frequently, yeah. I've been able to do that. It's very funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at first, it was, you know, when you were uh, put into quarantine and all that, it was, oh, I'm going to have time to actually get to know people my, that I live with. This is This is wonderful. But now that, you know, we've gotten into almost a month since the quarantine was really put into practice, uh, I think everyone now is just saying, "Okay, this shit is not fun anymore. Let's uh, let's review. Let's, let's let's resume everyday life now, please." Well, it's not even just the people that I live with; it's also my extended family because we've been having um, Zoom chats with my extended family yes. about on a weekly basis. Yes, as 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 have I. They are uh, they're interesting. <laughs> yeah, they are interesting. They are most certainly interesting. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's kind of been same old, same old. It's, I mean, I really, as everybody, I wish that uh, I can get out of the house and for and go past Northern Boulevard for more than a day, for more than like a couple hours at a time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, every I think everyone yesterday was one of those days uh, where it was okay to be in quarantine with all the rain and everything that. Uh, that we had so it wasn't like we were missing out on much so i was i was okay with uh being in in quarantine and and it's it's also i forget who mentioned this but someone made a good point where it's you're not you're not getting harassed now for doing nothing when you're sitting at home because like doing nothing now is just it's the norm and you know obviously you and i have the uh, the the privilege to uh, be able to continue to do what we do and record podcasts and all that. But there are a lot of people that, you know, that unfortunately are not able to work. And, you know, that, that obviously does take uh, precedent over anything else. But for for some, let's just, let's just say, you know, the demographic that we kind of target, and that's like, you know, uh, high school kids that are, you know, later in their high school years and then college kids and then anybody who's out of school, you know, they get to sit around and just kind of just chill and, you know, there's not really a lot of stress on them. Obviously, you know, it's a lot different for people that own homes and aren't in work and, and things like that. But for the ones that um, that haven't reached that stage in life yet, uh, to be able to uh, just kind of, you know, relax and do what they got to do, it's it's not bad for them. But for others, obviously, it is a, it is a whole hell of a lot worse. Right. Exactly. And really, we're we're very lucky to be in the position that we're in. Very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. And I got a. Uh, I got over the last week or so. I've gotten a lot of messages from uh, from our listeners who uh, have been uh, very very kind and very generous in terms of uh, thanking us for the work that we do, 
uh, for continuing to put out podcasts in the middle of very, very uncertain times. And, uh, you know, it's what we're here for. It's what we uh, what we'd love to do. And hopefully we are bringing all of our listeners some uh, some little form of joy in uh, in a time where, let's face it, uh, joy is a little hard to come by. So we're obviously, again, very, very privileged and very honored that we uh, are able to provide everyone with a little bit of uh, stability, I guess, is uh, is the word. And we're able to provide, you know, some form of uh, content to entertain the masses. Right. So before we go into our mock draft, at least the first part of our mock draft, the first third of our mock draft, let's go over some news and notes. And it's pretty sad what, what we're starting off with. We have seen many sports figures pass away over this uncertain period, whether it be from coronavirus or otherwise. And just a couple of minutes ago, like about a half hour ago or so, uh, Hank Steinbrenner passed away, who is the the son, one of the sons of George Steinbrenner, the famous owner of the Yankees and the brother of Hal Steinbrenner, who now runs the Yankees. And he was 63. It's very sad to see something like that happen for somebody who was really well respected in the baseball community. And especially since we are both from New York, Bird is a huge Yankees fan. And honestly, uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the Steinbrenner family. Hopefully they're doing well in this time. Yeah, I couldn't have said that much better myself. Um, obviously, it is a uh, it's a blow to the uh, to the Yankees family. Obviously, when you uh, when you lose someone as powerful as a Steinbrenner, I know I remember when uh, when George passed away, and basically the entire foundation of not just New York sports but sports in general was really just shook because Stein, George Steinbrenner was. He was a pioneer in terms of, you know, building up a sports franchise and making them a a powerhouse in terms of uh, their popularity, marketability, things like that. And, uh, of course, he passed that down to his uh, to his children. And I know that um, Hank and Hal were, were very involved uh, with the Yankees. And, of course, his two daughters as well, Jennifer and Jessica, are both very involved with the team as well. I know that uh, Hank had stepped away from the Yankees for a while how was truly the face of the Yankees taking over in his in his father's aura a little bit um, and now I guess we have a reason why Hank was very much out of the public spotlight for a long time and uh, that was because he was of course probably dealing with this mystery illness um, and I'm sure we'll find out a bit more details as this news uh, comes through and, and everyone takes time to process uh, what has happened, but truly, it's a very, uh, very sad day for uh, Yankees fans, uh, the Yankees as a whole, and, and baseball as a whole, because uh, you know this is this. It, it's kind of like it's kind of like the first family in baseball. You know, it's like it's the Steinbrenner family. You know, it's 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 an empire, and uh, you know, not many families in sports can really claim to have that. Maybe you know, you think of maybe the Joneses, you think of maybe the Davises. Um, and then you think of the Steinbrenners, and uh, obviously a, a very, very sad day. And I echo what what Adam said, and thoughts and prayers going out to everyone um, who knew Hank Steinbrenner, and um, hopefully will try and carry on his memory as best as they possibly can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the report that I read about this said that the illness was not COVID nineteen. Yes. So yes, correct. thankfully, it's not that, but. Of course, we don't know. 
there there's a chance that we might not ever know because frankly it's the Steinbrenners. Yeah. But also it's really none of our business. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what? It, it, it all comes down to the media sharks and they'll they'll find a way to uh, to figure out exactly what it was because he was he was out of the public spotlight uh, away from the Yankees for a long time for a long time. So you would imagine that it was something that was severe enough where it could really take him completely out of the day-to-day operations of how the Yankees basically conducted their business and, and did what they had to do. So um, it obviously had to be a, a serious enough illness, obviously, um, for him to not necessarily be a part of the franchise and have Hal be the be the guy that ran the day-to-day operations of the team. Right, exactly. And then uh, there are two more pretty sad de- deaths that happened. Uh, first, former NFL quarterback Tavares Jackson passed away in a car accident. He was 36. And then uh, Carl Anthony Towns' mother passed away from complications due to COVID-19. So as we said for Hank Steinbrenner, uh, our thoughts go out to the family, uh, the families of Tavares Jackson as well as Carl Anthony Towns and his, and his relatives who are trying to uh, deal with this. And honestly, I mean, I'm just speaking as a Jewish person, but you know when you when somebody dies, you have to sit Shiva for a week or uh, yeah, it's a week. And with the the ban on gatherings and people not wanting to gather, it's gonna it's hard to to be together with your family in these trying times. So hopefully, they find a way to uh, to do that, whether it be virtually or on the phone or or otherwise. Well, I know I know what um, certain funeral homes are doing, and I know a few people who have lost uh, relatives during this time, and uh, what the funeral homes are doing is like for wakes and things like that. Um, they're holding these wakes on Zoom. So anybody can come in and, you know, pay their respects on Zoom and the family would be there and and things like that. It's it, it's it's a little um, impersonal, I, I, I think, you know, but these are times where I think everyone has to has to adjust, unfortunately. And um, it, it, it it's just so unfortunate that, you know, these people, you know, they're whatever, whatever they're, just, they're succumbing to doesn't have to be Corona or uh, or anything like that. But um, but they can't get the proper send off that they rightfully deserve and it's uh it's very sad but obviously yes the uh, the thoughts go out to uh Tavares Jackson his friends family and same thing with uh Carl Anthony Towns uh, his mother her friends her family and, and of course to uh to Big Cat himself um you know he uh he was very close with his mother I know that you know he had posted a lot of pictures of her on uh, on social media and was very forthcoming that you know that his relationship with his mother was the most important thing in his life and uh, I I can't imagine, you know, the kind of uh, the kind of pain that he is uh, he's going through. I think uh, for any for any young man that's uh, that's out there, you know, you 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 quickly realize that the most important thing in your life is your mother, and you know you you'll do what you need to do to make sure that she's protected and that she has what she needs. And I know that uh, Carl Anthony Towns very much so subscribed to that. And um, obviously, again. Thoughts and prayers go out to uh, to everyone who has uh, who has lost someone in this time because it can only be classified as just absolutely nuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So our last bit of news and notes. I mean, it's also sad, 
but thankfully nobody's dead from this. The XFL. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The XFL has gone bankrupt. Okay, maybe I lied a little. A football, a startup football league is dead, but nobody, no person is dead. But yeah, but yeah. we, but we, all, we all expected this death. Yes, we knew it was coming. So it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge surprise. Once the season was suspended, the XFL was officially on life support. Yeah, and I would, I would even go on a limb and say that they were making. Most of their money was coming in through the TV deals that they had. And once there were no games to be played, that is when everything went bankrupt, literally and figuratively went bankrupt, belly up. And uh, another another failed venture from uh, from Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Uh, but, hey, at least WWE is still uh, is still wrestling and they were just announced uh, today that they are an essential business in oh the uh, in the state of Florida. So, I don't know how. I don't know I really don't know how, but sure. I'm going to cut this part. I'm going to say that I'm I bet they would say that crystal meth is an essential business in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave that in. <laughs> Please do. I don't want to disparage the people in Florida. Oh come on! We need, we went through the last ten minutes All right, of just sad, of sadness and death, and you finally get a good laugh out of it. All right, fine. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll take the hit for it. Uh, everyone who is listening to this podcast, I am advising that Adam Caster leaving the part about crystal meth. Do not blame him for any of its shortcomings. Blame me. Yeah. So this is honestly sadder than what happened to the AAF because. The XFL had a lot of potential, more so than the AF. And they had money. They had enough money to go to a second season if they really wanted to. The TV deals that they had, yeah, they were making a ton of money off of, off of those. Right, exactly. So they could have, yeah, they could have buoyed that off it. But the, a, the AAF was running on like a shoestring budget, and their TV deal was terrible. Yes. So Very, very much so. I mean, we've seen that uh, former XFL players are signing NFL contracts. The probably the most famous being PJ Walker signing with the Panthers. Honestly, it's kind of nice to have seen another startup football league. But uh, you never know. I think honestly, this is probably going to be it for like startup football leagues for a while because they've seen that it just it just doesn't work. Really, they're so because the nice thing about how the schedule works for sports is that once, you know, the NFL dies, dies off and, you know, the season ends, the Super Bowl is over. That's when the other sports that are happening at that moment, i.e. basketball and hockey, that's when they ramp up in intensity where you're going True. for the playoff push. I mean, February is pretty terrible for that because there's really nothing going on. But this is true for March and April. That's when you have playoff races in the NBA and NHL. Uh, early April, you have the Masters, and and that starts the golf season. Um, I think f- is it February that ha- that like the Daytona is in February. Daytona Five Hundred. Yeah, yeah, m- middle of fe- middle of February. Right, and then and then in uh, going into April, you have the uh, playoffs for the NBA and NHL, and you have the Indy Five Hundred and all the other uh, NASCAR sports, and then baseball Opening starts. Opening day for baseball. There in you April go. April as well. I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
the yeah so it kind of it fits all nicely in, into a puzzle like that where you have yes it does all of these sports going on they don't uh, they're all in their own separate like universe it's like the only time that you really have constant crossover is with the NBA and the NHL this is true but at least but at least you have like different choices to watch in the um, the lull months in the uh, in the winter like you have you have the ability to choose if you want to watch hockey or if you want to watch uh, or if you want to watch basketball right you have you have that option which is good whereas in the fall you know you're watching football but you also you also have uh, hockey and basketball too come come October but then the summer is is just straight baseball but you're able to go out and you're able to do your thing and in, in normal circumstances you are I should say right well also for people who like soccer the uh, the MLS is in the summer also I'm this is true I'm just putting that out there big MLS guy over here well yeah the, it's it's a solid league oh it's very solid I'm sure yep getting expansion teams every every year but anyway uh, we're gonna move on to what we're, what we're really here to talk about and that is our NFL mock draft because even though it's the off season we're talking about the NFL like it's the regular season of course because that's what we do here Football is king. Football is king, and football is also the only thing that we can talk about, while every other sport is on is on pretty much lockdown. Are you, do you mean to tell me that even if all the sports were at their at their peak, that we wouldn't lead with football? I plead the fifth, Mister Gaster. There you go. I plead the fifth. Point proven. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. Well, if you know what the Fifth Amendment is, then. You you've said all you need to, all you need to, by saying I plead the fifth, Mister Castor. At the advice of my counsel, I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege. Right. So this mock draft that we're doing is for the 2020 NFL draft, which is nine days away. Very exciting. Ooh, baby. So we're doing a we're doing this into three parts. It's going to be one to ten today. And then is going to be eleven to twenty one or eleven to twenty one on Thursday, and then twenty two to thirty two next Tuesday, and then on Friday we're going to have our reaction to the first round of the draft because the draft is on Thursday. So there you go. Right. That is the game plan for the next two weeks. And just to preface, there are no trades because trades are confusing, especially because there's no visual for this <laughs> yes but i will i will also because i was doing a mock that does include trades um i will point out spots in my mock where i think trades could potentially happen just for the sake of full disclosure right i mean i'll probably do that as well because trades are very much a thing in the actual nfl draft so it would correct. be stupid of us to not talk about it correct so to start off, we're going to start off with probably the mo- the easiest, most slam dunk pick in the draft, and that is the first overall pick. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to be picking Joe Burrow, the quarterback from LSU. I mean, who else? Who else could they pick in this situation? Uh, they could take five first-round picks and move down. Yes, they could do that. And then someone else moves up to take Joe Burrow. They could do uh, that. But the Bengals don't have a choice. <laughs> they, this is a, this is 
as much of a slam dunk as it as it gets, unless they're blown away with with a trade offer. Um, but Joe Burrow is going number one uh, to the Bengals, uh, 6'4", 221 pounds, of course, out of LSU. Um, the thing that I think everyone gets enamored with 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 Joe Burrow is the kind of character that he is, and the and he just comes off as a guy that loves to win. And I, when I look at quarterbacks, the one thing that I want to see the most is who is a winner. And obviously, Joe Burrow is that. Won the national championship this year with, of course, the LSU Tigers and Coach O, Go Tigers. Um, the one thing though with Burrow that I don't want to say it's a concern. Like I'm not going to go and say that. Oh, I don't like Joe Burrow. Uh, because of this, um, he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, but he doesn't need that when he is as accurate of a passer as there is in this class. He's as tough as they come, and he really is a guy that can take over the pocket and really lead his team and be that guy when it matters most. So, uh, Joe Burrow, I, I, I love him as a player. Uh, and I think he's going to be an outstanding fit for what the Bengals are trying to do in terms of building a winning football team. And low-key, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, that offense is starting to shape up a little bit. If only they can bring some guys in on uh, on defense and then continue to build an offensive line. The Bengals... They could make some noise in the next uh, in the next year or two in terms of uh, getting back into uh, into the playoff picture and making football sexy again in uh, in Cincinnati. That is interesting. You know, when you said they doesn't have a lot of arm strength and he's very accurate. I mean, the first thing that popped into my head, being a biased Jets fan that I am, is Chad Pennington. Yeah, he he kind of he kind of has that vibe. I mean, I've seen I've seen some people say that um, at best Joe Burrow. His his career could be like in the mold of a Tony Romo. I don't think that's that's the same because I think Tony Tony just had a better arm than Burrow does, and and Tony was a gunslinger. That's not what Joe Burrow is. Joe Burrow isn't a gunslinger. He's a very he's a very methodical, very orthodox quarterback that is not going to take a lot of chances on throws, but he is going to be able to dissect the defense well enough to figure out where the holes exactly are going to be, and when pressure's in his face. Joe Burrow does not flinch, and that is something that I saw a lot of on film, that he will have defenders just draped around him, and he still has the confidence and the poise to make all the throws necessary to be a competent quarterback and to will his team onto victory, and that's the kind of quarterback that I really want to be the leader of my franchise. So the Bengals are getting a good one, and anybody who says Joe Burrow is going to come out and say, no, I'm not playing for the Cincinnati Bengals, please. He's an Ohio kid. He's staying in the state of Ohio. Joe Burrow is going to be the future starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals for the next 10 to 15 years. Book it. Yep. Well, hopefully he doesn't have the injury history that Chad Pennington had. I will I'll say that. Correct. And hopefully he doesn't quit on the Bengals like Carson Palmer did. Yes. That also. So next up is another more or less slam dunk unless uh, Washington trades this pick. They got to pick Chase Young. I mean, going from one Ohio State recruit to another. Chase Young, edge rusher from The Ohio State University. Yeah, this is a solid pick. We talked about this when we talked about the NFC team needs, that Chase Young would make a 
fearsome, fearsome tandem with Ryan Kerrigan on that off on that defensive line for Washington. And he is a can't miss prospect. As much of a can't miss prospect as you can get. Yep, I agree. I agree with everything you said just said out of uh, Chase Young, number two to the Redskins. I think he is he is the number one prospect that I have in this class, and it is not close. Uh, if not for the uh, emergence of Joe Burrow this past season and the fact that the Bengals desperately do need a quarterback, um, Chase Young would be the number one overall, be the number one pick in this draft, I, I truly uh, think. So I think he's an all-pro talent. He's great against the run. He's great when it comes to coming off the edge and trying to go hunt down the quarterback. That's what these edge rushers are, of course, paid to do, go after the quarterback. And I, I he really does remind me a lot of the kind of talent that can really come in and shake up the league. And I think, you know, when I watched him, uh, I saw a couple comparisons that had him be in the mold of like a Julius Peppers in his prime. I think that's a very, very good comparison. And Julius Peppers is going to be going to the Hall of Fame. So if Chase Young can even come close to being a Julius Peppers, I would say that he's going to be a slam dunk uh, presence off the edge for the Washington Redskins for the next 10 to 15 years as well. So um, Washington Redskins, unless they trade the pick, which I highly doubt they do, um, I think that Chase Young here is is the pick for them, and he is going to cause chaos within the NFC East for the next 10 to 15 years, given, of course, you have the offensive lines of the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, which are widely considered to be one of the, uh, one of the two best offensive lines in the league you need to get disruptors on the defensive line to really cause those lines problems and chase young is that kind of guy yep i agree with you so next and he's got he's, yeah. and, and he's huge too he's humongous 6'5 264 he's he's a large man it he's helps a very very large man it helps yes it does yes it does indeed so at number three the detroit lions are sticking to the Ohio State University, and they'll be drafting Jeff Okuda, the cornerback from the Ohio State University. I'm emphasizing it because Bird will yell at me if I don't. And you know it. Yeah. And so this is this seems like an obvious fit for the Detroit Lions. They just traded away Darius Slay to Philadelphia, and they need to fill they need to fill a spot on the roster. And frankly, Jeff Okuda, one of the best corners in the draft here, is a perfect person to fill that day one hole. You know, you don't really see a lot of corners being drafted in the top 10, or at least in the in the top five. I think, you know, uh, two years ago, in 2018, you had uh, a couple secondary players drafted in the top 10, but it's not really a typical position. But when you have a player like Jeff Okuda and when you have a role, a hole in your roster like the Detroit Lions have, then it just makes sense. It's like a no-brainer for them. It is a no-brainer. I think that if if Okuda is there, the Lions have to take him. He's a natural replacement for Darius Slay. He's got ideal size, 6'1", 205. So it's pretty good size for, for a corner. And he's competitive. And I think that when you're looking at a corner in terms of who is going to match up against a team's best receiver... Okuda can do that. I think he absolutely can. He's effective in both press and off coverage, which we uh, are looking for in terms of corners that can go in the top 10. I know that um, there were a lot of people that were shocked when Marshawn Lattimore fell outside of the top 10 
and the Saints just said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna snap him up and look at how he's turned out. He's he's been arguably he's the best shutdown corner in the National Football League. Also came out of the Ohio State University, and I think Jeff Okuda can be something like a Marshawn Lattimore. I believe in his ability in terms of how he can track receivers. He's make he can make plays on the ball, but he also can take away an entire side of the field. And I think when you're talking about safety outside of Joe Burrow and Chase Young, I think Jeff Okuda is, in fact, the safest prospect in this draft outside of, of course, the elite, elite talents in Burrow and Young. So I also have the Detroit Lions taking Jeff Okuda at number three, but I think this is a spot where the Lions do, in fact, trade down and we do see a team trade up for a quarterback. So I don't think the Lions will be picking at number three. Right. And then at four, so the New York Giants, the New York football Giants are, in at least in my mock draft, they're going to be picking Isaiah Simmons, the hybrid linebacker safety out of Clemson. I think he's probably going to end up picking linebacker, but you never know. This is in reference to what we talked about on the last episode of the podcast. This is a Dave Gettleman pick. This is like a very like a straight like a very unique type of player kind of off board because you'd think that maybe the Giants would want to pick one of the tackles but this is the kind of person that this is the kind of player that Dave Gellman likes where he can play multiple positions he has a lot of potential but as Bert and I talked about you he might end up being stuck in the middle being a, uh, a tweener between linebacker and safety where he's either too big to be a safety or too small to be a linebacker. So it remains to be seen what he'll end up doing about that once he eventually gets to the NFL. But as far as this pick is concerned, I think that Dave Gellerman is going to try and fill in his linebacking core and maybe even his safety room with Isaiah Simmons. I do not have the Giants taking Isaiah Simmons. While it is appealing to go ahead and take Simmons. Um, I believe that the Giants know that they have to do what they have to do to make sure they protect Daniel Jones. And that is why I have them taking Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. I believe that, for me, he's the number two tackle in this draft. I don't think he stays at tackle. I think he can survive at tackle if need be. But I think he would be much better off if you move him inside at guard, and I think he can be an all-pro guard uh, if the Giants do go ahead and do that. He is a rather large man, 6'5", 320. He's got that size. The one thing that Wirfs does struggle with that I saw on film was that inside move he definitely does get twisted up on a little bit, but he's strong, and if you're trying to go at him directly, Wirfs is not going to budge. So I think if you move him inside and you really limit him in terms of, you know, being susceptible to that inside move, I think Wirfs will be much better off at guard than necessarily at tackle. But in any event, I have Wirfs as my number two tackle in this draft, and I think the Giants do go this route. And I think they do take whomever their best tackle is on the board. For me, it is Wirfs in this spot, and that's who I'm going to go with. So Tristan Wirfs, the junior out of Iowa. He is my uh, my pick for the New York football Giants because they have to, have to, have to in this draft, whether they do it in the first round, the second round, or the seventh round. They have to get offensive linemen to protect Daniel Jones. I can't say it loud enough. So 
for number five. We're already halfway done with this, which is pretty cool. Uh, the Miami Dolphins are up. And this pick for me is very conditional on this player's health. And in case that didn't give it away, the pick for the Dolphins in my mock draft is Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback from Alabama. And his hip injury that he suffered when he was in college, it can be very, very tricky if you don't fully know what's going on with it. And especially with what's going on now with the pandemic, where you're not going to have as many opportunities to really see Tua in person and see how the hip is doing, or even medically just take a look at it. It's going to be interesting to see how the Dolphins or any other team looking to take him feel about Tua's hip. Or are they willing to take the risk on that? I think his uh, he's been saying that he's doing fine with it, but you really need to have med- a medical professional take a look at it just to make sure that there's nothing that could be going wrong with it. And if Tua is healthy, then he is one of the best quarterbacks in the draft. And the only reason that we're even, that there is even any controversy with him not going, not being the first pick, quarterback picked in this draft or the second quarterback picked in this draft is because of his hip injury. Honestly, if he was healthy, he'd probably go above Joe Burrow. And I think you, Oof. yeah. Oof. That's a that's a big statement. If he was healthy, if he was completely healthy, no hip injury, I think he would go above Joe Burrow. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm there. I don't know if I'm there. I don't know. I don't know, Bird. He he's a he's a dynamic playmaker. He's ambidextrous, which is also pretty pretty interesting. All right, that's a fun fact. Is that going to help him on the football field? I mean, when you're throwing uh, on the run, it could. Yeah, it could. Uh, then you're not really going to like me for this one. Uh, I have the Dolphins taking Justin Herbert. Ooh, I, I think that uh, there are, and this is just more inside information than anything else, but I know that there are a ton of teams that are in the market for a quarterback that because of the inability to really uh, see Tua in person and get to really you know look at him medically, uh, there are teams that are very, very concerned about uh, Tua Tagovailoa and you know how that hip really is and that's why I'm taking Justin Herbert. Yes, I do have Tua ranked above Justin Herbert. I think a fully healthy Tua is he's a dynamic prospect, but there are just too many medical red flags for me. Uh, if I'm the Miami Dolphins at this spot without really getting to dissect Tua and you know what his uh, overall issues are medically, um, that I'm going to take in my in my opinion. Uh, one of the safest prospects again uh, in this draft in in Justin Herbert. Uh, he's 6'6", 236, so he's humongous. Um, the one thing that I really liked about Justin Herbert when I watched him on film was that he can make all the throws, and that is something that when I'm scouting a quarterback that I also like to see is that he can make every single throw that is needed. He's also very mobile. He can scramble. He can use his legs to make plays. And I also like that when I'm scouting a quarterback. But I also think that Justin Herbert at times is too safe with his throws. And I think at the end of the day, the one thing that whomever does take Herbert has to work on with him has got to be that he takes more chances down the field and uses 
that superior arm strength that he does have to make those plays. And if he goes to Miami, who better to learn about taking chances downfield and being a true gunslinger than Ryan Fitzpatrick to come in and teach the kids. So uh, I think it's a pretty good fit for Herbert. I know there are a lot of people that are uh, a little sketched out saying that, oh, you know, he was an Oregon kid and you want, you know, you want to keep him on the West coast that he's only moving South to, uh, to Los Angeles, which I would say Adam is probably where you have Justin Herbert going. It is. Um, but I think, I think going uh, to Miami here, I think Miami is in the market for somebody that's a safe quarterback prospect and doesn't have as many medical red flags as Tua does. So that's why I'm going with Justin Herbert here. But if the Dolphins do take Tua, I would not be surprised um, because they would have to know that Tua is 100%. He's ready to go. And I also don't think Tua would start right away, which would also help him uh, in Miami. And to be fair, I don't think that uh, Tua would start right away in Los Angeles either because the Chargers do seem pretty comfortable with uh, Tyrod Taylor being the starter, at least for now, uh, in Los Angeles. Well, I definitely agree with you on that, but I still think... I mean, I wouldn't be shocked either if the Dolphins picked Tua. I mean, I, Well, clearly not. You took him. Yeah, exactly. You, you I picked him in the mock draft. So, yeah, but I, w- I, I, mean, I wouldn't be shocked not, if they I didn't pick surprised. him either. No, I would I would not be surprised. But at the same time, it, it's going off of um, the fact that no one really has had a clean look at Tua in terms of you know how healthy he is and getting the medical reports and, and, and things like that. And being, of course, examined by a team doctor, which in any other year is a stone-cold lock that would happen. And I think teams would be more comfortable with Tua if they had that, that, that look by one of their own guys. But Unfortunately, with uh, what's going on, they haven't had that opportunity, so now they got to go off of uh, just hunch and what Tua's team is sending over to them and what they see on film. And there's no doubt Tua's a winner. I'm not saying that I don't like Tua at all. I think he is an outstanding quarterback prospect, and I think if he is healthy and he is 100%, he can be he could be a game changer, and he is he can be in the mold of a Drew Brees or a Russell Wilson in terms of his career trajectory and what he can do in this league. But for me, I am going with the safer of the two, and that is Justin Herbert here. Well, he definitely could be one of the best left-handed quarterbacks of all time, which would be great for me could be. as a left-handed person. He, he, he definitely could be. He's got a, uh, a, a heavy uh, heavy mark to reach in terms of uh, maybe going after the, uh, the world's greatest quarterback that has ever been invented and created in Michael Vick, of course. Right, exactly. So at number six... As Bird predicted, I have the Chargers picking Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon. And Bird really said a lot of what I was going to say about Justin Herbert, which is which is nice because it saves my breath. But yeah, this is a this is a solid pick for a team that also needs a quarterback. I think Justin Herbert would probably start right away for the Chargers. I don't know how comfortable they are with Tyrod Taylor as their starting quarterback. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is a serviceable quarterback, but he hasn't really played consistently in a couple of years now. I think that Tyrod Taylor would be a great mentor for Justin Herbert because I do see, like, they have the same sort of qualities in a way, but I think that the Chargers are really going to want to kind of throw Justin Herbert to the fire because really the time 
the era of just having your rookie quarterback sit behind a veteran for three years, a la Aaron Rodgers, a la Patrick Mahomes, is just not a thing anymore. It just doesn't happen. You have to have quarterbacks start right away, no matter how good or how bad they are. Uh, that's not necessarily true. I mean, if you uh, if you have a serviceable option in front, um, then you can play that guy. But, you know, obviously... You have to look at who at who the guy is, and I think you know when it comes to these two quarterbacks that we're talking about, Herbert and Tua, there are two very serviceable options that uh, the Chargers and the Dolphins can go ahead and, and start right away. I do have the Chargers taking Tua. Um, you know, people people want to go after him because of his size, uh, only six foot two seventeen, but you know he's proven that he's a winner. And again, it all goes back to what we're talking about. We want winners, and Tua is Tua is that, and. The one thing that I saw with Tua on film that I really wasn't impressed with was in the red zone when they got really close and he was responsible for, you know, for passing on third and goals and things like that. He he had he had the tendency to miss some throws and he took the uh, the safe option of just, you know, throwing it out of bounds and then they just come on take the points. Um so that will have to be cleaned up a little bit. The hip injury again, we've talked about it before, that is obviously a big concern and needs to be factored in to any overall evaluation of who Tua is as a professional quarterback, but there's no doubt what you're getting in terms of character, there's no doubt in what you're getting in terms of a leader, there's no doubt what you're getting in terms of being an overall professional that Tua Tagovailoa is all of those and he will succeed at all three of those in the highest regard, but in terms of the player and what we're evaluating, Tua is he's, he's a very maligned prospect. And I know people that do not have him in their first round at all because they are just truly, truly scared of what that hip injury has done to him as a potential prospect. But then I have people that have him going number two overall, you know, through trades. So uh, he's, he's very all over the map. Um, but I would say that if you're doing this based on need, if you're doing it based off of the kind of player that we know he can be, Tua is the pick for the Chargers because they do need a guy to carry them into the future. And that is what Tua can be. But he's going to need time. I think for now, I think the one guy, if you're talking out of Tua and Justin Herbert, that is a more of a day one starter, I think it's Justin Herbert more than it's Tua. Because you really want to see Tua live in practice and taking live reps and things like that before you're really willing to throw him, you know, into the deep end in an NFL game right away. Right, exactly. And honestly, we, whether it be Justin Herbert or Tua Tagovailoa, I think they're with the Chargers. They're going into a great situation. The Chargers were just two years ago were a playoff team in 2018. They made it to the divisional round of the playoffs. Uh, they still have a great running back in Austin Eckler. They have a number, a solid number one wide receiver in Keenan Allen. They have a pretty good offensive line. So really, this is a great situation for both quarterbacks to go into. And for Justin Herbert, this would be a great place to succeed if he really wants to do that. But I th- again, I think it's more it's more about safety. And you're looking about Herbert has no medical red flags too. It does. Herbert can start right away. Tua obviously can't until you see him prove it physically on the practice field. You're right. So at number seven with the Panthers, they actually do have a solution at quarterback. They have Teddy Bridgewater, and they're going to be 
trying to strengthen their defensive line with this pick. They're going to be picking Derek Brown, the defensive tackle from Auburn, in my opinion. We talked about it again uh, last podcast. We were talking about the NFC team needs. And the Panthers really need somebody to uh, strengthen that defensive line. They could definitely go wide receiver here. Uh, either Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs third. They could definitely go there. But for right now, Derek Brown is the pick for them. So this is where the slide for Isaiah Simmons ends for me. I have the Panthers taking Simmons. Um, yes, they do have Derek Brown on the board here. But for me, I think you have this rare athlete where you can line him up at linebacker. Obviously, now they have that hole now that Luke Keekley is retired. And you can also line him up at safety. You can figure out where he plays when he gets there. I think Matt Rule does have that sort of cre- that sort of creative ability to figure out where he would want Isaiah Simmons lined up in his defense. And that's why I think Isaiah Simmons is going to be the pick here for the Panthers. The teams before... The only real team that I could see taking the chance on Simmons is the Giants, but I think the Giants, again, they have more needs there where they have to build up an offensive line, whereas Simmons, I think he comes into Carolina, I think he's a day-one starter, and you really figure out you know, where he is best suited um, at the next level as you continue to play him more and more. I think, me personally, I think that he is a bit more of a linebacker than a safety just based on his size, 6'4", 238. But you can play him as a safety if need be. But for me, I think he's more of a linebacker than a safety. Yeah, I I could see that, definitely. I mean, obviously, it won't happen in my mock draft. But I can see your, your thought process there. Yeah, I just think that you need to put him where he where he succeeds. And yes, he's very good against the pass, but I've, I've seen him more make more explosive plays against the run so that's why i'm saying i think he's more of a linebacker i've just seen more wow factor with simmons against the run than against the pass well that's the thing that about linebackers and safeties the hybrid of linebackers and safeties where you don't really where you never really see this sort of player before where because linebackers and safeties their positions are so so different the the responsibilities these you know you could switch from defensive end to offensive line pretty simply if you depending on the formation that you're playing of course and that's why we kind of uniform like unilaterally said okay this is an edge rusher position because they can either be a, a defensive end or an outside linebacker correct for linebackers and safeties linebackers have to deal with the run and the pass at the same time and the only times that the safeties have to deal with the run is if the linebackers fuck up this is true or if they're in a in a blitz package but most of the time, when you're a safety, you're dealing with with coverage. Unless you're, I mean, you know, unless you're Jamal Adams and you like to play the run a lot. But this is true. All very valid yeah. points. <laughs> Marcus May is more of the coverage safety. But uh, there, there, there I go talking about my favorite team again. But yeah, this is a this is a solid pick. I can definitely see see the thought. The thought process here and uh with that let's move on to number eight the arizona cardinals i have them picking tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle out of iowa you can definitely see one of the other uh tackle prospects going here either mekai becton andrew thomas or jedrick willis jr but i think 
what Bird was talking about with the versatility of Tristan Wirfs will definitely makes him one of the better tackles on the market here or on the board here because the the Cardinals have a need for tackle, of course, but if they can also use Tristan Wirfs to fill in a hole at guard, that would solve another one of their problems as well. And I think that really Kyler Murray can do Kyler Murray can do a lot. You know, he he's a mobile quarterback. He can hang out in the pocket as well. But really, to make him realize his fullest potential, you need an offensive line to protect him. And when you have your your big weapons in Kenyon Drake now and DeAndre Hopkins, you need to give Kyler Murray time to throw. And, you know, before the Hopkins trade, we could have easily had him had the Cardinals picking Jerry Judy because wide receiver was a big need for them. But now they don't need a wide receiver anymore. They have probably the best receiver in the league in DeAndre Hopkins. So Thank you, Bill O'Brien. Thank you, Bill O'Brien. So that's why that uh, Tristan Wirfs is the pick for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we're in the same uh, thought process here. You just uh, you took the guy that I have going at four, and uh, I do have uh, Jedrick Wills Jr. Uh, out of Alabama, the junior, uh, going to the Arizona Cardinals. The one thing that I liked about him, number one, he is a natural right tackle, so that will help uh, the Cardinals, who do have a need at tackle as well, opposite of DJ Humphreys. Um, he's excellent in pass protection, which... Obviously, we're looking for for the Cardinals, but he's also very good in run protection as well, which, of course, the Cardinals, we saw with Kenyon Drake, they want to include the run game as well. And then also, Kyler Murray, he also likes to use his legs a whole hell of a lot. So, uh, Jedrick Wills, the thing about him is he is, he's big too, 6'4", 312, so his body type is a little bit different in terms of the old linemen that are really coming into the league now. They're obviously big. But they're not, you know, super large. Will Jedrick Wills is a large, large, large man. And the one thing when I watched him on film was he is never on his ass. Never. He does not get overpowered. He does not get knocked over. He is the kind of guy that will fight and fight and fight and really work against an, an, an opposing edge rusher. So um, I like what I saw out of, uh, out of Wills. Um, I know there are a lot of people that maybe aren't as high on him. Um, I would say that he is probably number three for me on the on my tackle list um, in terms of you know the rankings and things like that. Um, and I, I like I like what I saw. So uh, Jedrick Wills I think is a it's, he's a natural fit for um, for the Cardinals, but I don't I don't mind the worst pick either because I think worst can you can shift into guard versus Wills, who you know is a plug and play. Uh, right tackle, and you could plug him in at right or at left tackle, and either either way, it'll be it'll be just fine. Right, exactly. So, at number nine for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I have them going wide receiver here, and it's Jerry Judy. Ooh, ooh, the wide receiver out of Alabama. Offensive line is definitely a help or a need there, but I think with the two first round picks they have in the draft. They can definitely fill that need at 20, maybe not as efficiently as they would if they had picked Andrew Thomas or Judge Willis Jr. as I have here. But uh, for Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew needs more weapons. They have DJ Chark, of course, as at wide receiver, but Jerry Judy will make that offense purr. It would 
make it so, so explosive for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And frankly, I could see them going tackle here because, of course, at least in my mock draft, the three best offensive tackles are still on the board here. But for a lot of teams, especially in this gauntlet that we have going from 9 to 13 and even 14, wide receivers are going to go fast and loose. They're, the temptation is going to be there to pick one of the three be- one of the three big wide receivers in this draft. Interesting. So you have so you would put Judy and Chark in the same offense with Fournette and Minshew. Yes. Interesting. Okay. I, I haven't heard um a Judy argument for Jacksonville, but I I, I-, I could buy it. I could buy it. Uh, I've also heard uh before I give my pick, there are two things I've heard with this pick. Number one I've heard that this is a prime spot for the Jaguars to trade down because they are obviously in full rebuild. Um, so they can trade down, accumulate more picks, and then, of course, if they want to take a receiver, they can take a receiver later on. Or if they want to go um, the tackle spots, they could potentially trade down you know, within range and still probably get one of those tackles. Or if not, they'd probably settle for a Joshua Jones or an Austin Jackson, who we will get to later in this mock draft. Uh probably next week depending on where i have them um but in any event um and i've also heard that this is a spot for jordan love potentially the quarterback out of utah state that he has a range right now going around the eighth overall pick to about the 25th 26th overall pick um so there are a lot of teams that are enamored with Jordan Love, and I've heard Jacksonville is doing their homework on him a ton where they could bring him in and potentially have a full-on QB competition between him and Gardner Minshew. Um, but for the sake of this exercise, um, I do have the slide for uh, Derek Brown uh, coming to an end. My number three overall prospect in this draft, the defensive tackle out of Auburn. The one thing that I like about uh, Derek Brown – most of all, he's got excellent size, which for a defensive tackle, you know, we're looking for 6'5", 326. He's got a ton of power. He can shift interior offensive linemen. He did it in college for Auburn, and he's very athletic for the defensive tackle uh, position, and it's a natural fit going to Jacksonville, of course, with no more Calais Campbell there. Uh, Derek Brown can just very naturally shift into the inside of the interior defensive line for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it is a natural fit replacing Calais Campbell with a younger, more athletic version in Derek Brown. Okay, so we have reached the final pick of this first part of our mock draft, the Cleveland Browns. And in my mock draft, I have them picking Mekhi Becton, the offensive tackle from Louisville. And we've seen that the Cleveland Browns have signed Jack Conklin from the Tennessee Titans, and that has done wonders to fix their offensive line. At least they hope so. But you need two good tackles to be good in the NFL. And Mekhi Becton is going to be that for the Cleveland Browns. He's going to uh, allow Baker Mayfield to have more time in the pocket to hopefully find uh, Jarvis Landry and Elda Beckham Jr., open up the running game for Nick Chubb, and really enhance the offense that the Cleveland Browns are trying to to build there. And as has been said multiple times, many times on many episodes of this podcast, you start at the offensive line when you're trying 
to go through a rebuild here in the NFL and trying to get the two tackle spots for Cleveland this is they're in the best position to do that and Mekhi Becton is right there for the taking so I have him I have them taking him yeah I agree with you Adam I have uh, Mekhi Becton going to the Cleveland Browns as well and you talk about again huge man he fits the huge man mold we have a huge man alert uh six seven three hundred and sixty four pounds he is a massive left tackle prospect and that's where I think he he fits in naturally for the Cleveland Browns obviously the legal issues that surround uh their former left tackle Greg Robinson um have has opened up a hole now at left tackle obviously signing Jack Conklin in free agency they take Mekhi Becton he's a natural fit at left tackle and now you've rebuilt the two tackle spots on your offensive line in the span of one offseason and that should absolutely help Baker Mayfield in terms of trying to get him back on track in year three um the one area that I really saw Becton struggle with, he's my number four overall tackle uh, in this in this draft. So I do have him ranked lower than Wirfs. I have him ranked lower than Wills. And I have him ranked lower, of course, uh, than Andrew Thomas, who we will get to uh, on Thursday. I do have him uh, in the next couple of picks uh, in my mock. But the one thing about Becton that I saw that I really didn't like was I don't think he's nasty enough at the offensive at, at tackle. I just don't think that he really has that that push, that that anger that a lot of other tackles really show, especially the elite ones. They really don't he really doesn't have that burst and that kind of worries me a little bit. He needs to get a fire lit under him and I think you put you bring him to Cleveland and you already have Jack Conklin there who we've already have seen him succeed at the highest level. He's been regarded as one of the most underrated tackles in the National Football League for a very long time. You bring him in there and you have him work with Jack Conklin, I think that can change very quickly, but there's no doubt he is a rare athlete at the kind of size that he has. And if you get him really motivated and you get that anger and you get that competitiveness out of him, he has the ability to be the best tackle in this class by a million miles. But you got to get it out of him first. And I think Cleveland can be a good spot for him to get that competitive edge out of him that I just didn't really see on on tape. But if you're looking at him, he's good in pass protection. He's pretty good against when it comes to uh, run blocking as well. Uh, it's just really it, you need to see more of it. You need to see it more consistently for him. Yeah, so I don't really have anything else to uh, say about Mekhi Becton. So how, what are your thoughts overall on how these first 10 picks fell for in both of our mock drafts? Uh, I would say there's a 0% chance that any of these, uh, that any of these selections go 100% right. Um, and uh, I would say I'm very happy with mine. I'm, I, I think I'm confident in my, uh, my selecting abilities. But yeah, there's no chance in hell that this is going to be right. No I mean, at least the first three picks. The first two, I think, is going to be... Hell, hell, the first three picks could be could be uh, off. We don't even know about the number two. I mean, who knows? At least the first one, probably. I would say that there is a good shot that the first one is right. Yes. <laughs> you never know. And then, uh, and then from there, who knows? That's the draft. That should be the motto of the draft is, you know the first pick, and then from then on, who knows? Well, to be fair, two years ago, we didn't know the number one overall pick then. Uh, yeah, we didn't. 
we didn't we didn't have the Browns taking Baker Mayfield. No, we did not. We had the I think we both had him taking Sam Darnold. I believe we did as well. I'm pretty sure that we did. Yeah. And boy, were we surprised. <laughs> were we ever? And then the Giants took Saquon Barkley, and I almost like I it was amazing. I felt giddy. Uh yeah. Yeah, I, I actually had that conversation with a uh, with a, a fellow Jets fan last night that when the uh, when the Giants took Barkley over Darnold, it was pandemonium that the Giants made the biggest mistake in not taking Sam Darnold. Granted, we haven't seen you know Barkley really hit on all cylinders as of yet. Year two, he had the sophomore slump, but year one, he was he was the talk of the league. But same thing with Sam Darnold. We had not seen Sam Darnold really hit his stride as of yet. So it really is too early to tell to see if the Giants made a massive mistake in terms of uh, not drafting Sam Darnold over Saquon Barkley. It's a little too a little too early to see. I would say that maybe we'll have a definitive answer on that maybe in the next three or four years, depending on where their tr- career trajectories go. But yeah, this was this was a fun exercise. I'm very happy we were able to split this up into. Uh, into a more uh, digestible uh, method instead of going through uh, 32 picks in one episode because that would just be all over the place. Well, yeah, like we said uh, before when we initially tried to do this, you know, it's nice that we were able to get more time to talk about each pick and then the the possibilities of trades and who else they could pick at that position. So I think it really worked out for the best for for us and also the listeners. I hope so. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basement Talk podcast. You can find all episodes of the Basement Talk podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And that is just the Basement Talk podcast. You can find it right there. Make sure to listen to every episode and leave us a five-star review. Next time, we're going to be going through the next 10 picks of the NFL draft, of our mock draft. Starting off with number 11, the New York Jets. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for that coming out on Thursday. And for my co-host, Ed Birdsall, I'm Adam Caster, and we'll talk to you next time on the Basement Talk Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>